Uh, seven minutes past six. Over the past ten days, five high-ranking generals have died in Cuba, but the government hasn't confirmed the causes of their deaths. A coronavirus outbreak during a face-to-face meeting after the 11th day of unrest is a possible cause. The country has seen a spike in cases over the last month. John Bonfiglio is a Latin America correspondent based in Mexico, and I asked him what the Cuban government has said in response. Not very much at all, which, to be honest, by Cuban government standards is no... No great surprise. It's being presented internationally in the media as though, um, you know, we should we should read into this that something mysterious or underhand um, has taken place. But it's uh, it's really important to to understand con- contextually that four of the five senior generals fought in the revolution of 1959. So the first thing to say is they were you know genuinely elderly um, individuals. I think one of the reasons why the Cuban government is not really wanting to say very much at all is. Because this this continues um, to to signal the passing of the baton between generations, which makes the Cuban Revolution and the and the Communist Party on the island at the moment probably undertaking going through its most vulnerable point since uh, since the revolution in in 1959. And that's not down to anything underhand. Yeah. That's down to the old grandfather clock, age and time, uh, doing its thing. And potentially COVID as well. They might they might be reluctant to say five people all may have met up and, and caught COVID. Uh, absolutely, and also met up in a government meeting, which uh, which took place on on July the 11th. So for sure, there are there are whispers on the island that that's what took place. And and statistically, as you as you suggest, uh, if you look at the the COVID spike currently taking place in Cuba, which actually managed to to keep a handle on. Uh, on infection rates up until recently, over the course of the last six weeks, they've gone from a thousand infections a day to eight thousand in, uh, infections a day, which is a you know massive spike uh, by by their standards. And part of the problem there is the fact that um, they continue to be designing their own vaccinations, two of which uh, have, have come out now, but they've been not purchasing on the international market. Uh, they've been developing their own, which you know the Cuban government has done since forever. I mean, about eighty percent of their vaccines internally in Cuba for all manner of diseases are developed by them anyway. So they've got a good a good track record there. But that also means that they're they're lagging behind a number of other countries in terms of their vaccine rollout. And have those vaccines been 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 internationally tested? Are they rec- are they recognised vaccines now? Uh, they've not been internationally tested. I don't think that actually necessarily means that you know that they're not they're not kosher. The Cuban state has a has a really well developed um, system for for testing these. Uh, two of the five are now in uh, now being rolled out. Well, one is now being rolled out. The other one is in final stage uh, clinical trials, uh, and and they reckon that they're going to have seventy percent of the population uh, inoculated by uh, by September. But for mm. for sure, this is. You know, again, I guess kind of medically, it's a really vulnerable point for, for Cuba, especially when you multiply by, you know, the recent protests that, uh, that took place over the course of the last couple of weeks. And as I say, and, and a huge, you know, elderly and very vulnerable um, oligarchy, if you like, that, uh, that is still in power on the island. And, and you mentioned that the vulnerability of it. How vulnerable is, is, is the communist government now uh, after the uprising? I, I think it's... It's not vulnerable at this particular moment, but I think this signals the beginning of, of ongoing vulnerability that we're now going to see over the course, play out over the course of the next few months and years. Look, the, the fundamental truth is that 
whatever takes place on on the ground in terms of you know is Cuba a repressive state? Largely yes. Does it have political prisoners? Uh, yes, also. But it does it massively retain the support of its people? Well, largely yes as well. I mean, still rates of literacy, healthcare, education on the island are pretty high, and most people, um, certainly you know middle Asian and over, tend to believe in you know in the in, in the Cuban experiment. So I can't see that you know anything significantly changing now. But I think as generation uh, generations move up through uh, through the ranks and, and power changes hands, I think uh, for sure things are gradually going to change. And the key question for, for the Communist Party, for the, the Cuban government, is to what extent you know they allow these liberal reforms to, uh, to take place over, over time, knowing that actually by opening Pandora's box with those reforms, they make themselves more and more vulnerable all the time. Oh, I guess the, the arguments, I suppose, in favour of that would be you avoid a big bang revolution if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. But I think also important to state that still the apparatus of uh, police and military and, you know, the regime in, in Cuba is still very present. Um, so, again, you know, would um, a, a mass uprising actually be able to take place uh, at the moment? I, I can't really see that happening. And I think the, you know, the, the, the door knocking that's taken place over the course of the last couple of weeks since the uprising, the you know, the, the, the protests and so on has actually um, uh, reminded us the power of the state in terms of controlling protests. I mean, actually, the numbers of protesters uh, two weeks ago on the streets of, um, of various cities in, in Cuba were not that significant. You know, if you look at the international protests, they weren't that big at all. But what was really remarkable in terms of what took place in Cuba is that there were any protests at all, because since 1959, yeah. you just have not seen that on the streets at all. And, and in your view, then, has the mood settled a little bit since that period two weeks ago? I think there's been an enforced settlement of the mood. I think people, protesters, have retreated a little bit. I mean, a lot have been arrested. Um, estimates suggest that uh, in excess of 800 people have been um, arrested, whether they, they will be released or go through a you know, judicial process. We, we wait and see. But in terms of you know, things happening between today and tomorrow, I, I, yeah, that's not going to take place. I guess a big question for for the Cuban government is what's going to take place economically because one of the reasons why the protesters went out onto the streets is because uh, COVID caused such a massive economic crisis in, in the island to the extent that people you know, have been queuing for, for, for basic staples uh, which then turn out not to be in, in the shops and they're, and they're blaming the government um, for that. So how the, how the government manages to, to control or spur uh, the economy, I think, in, in very much the, sh the short term, is is a key question in terms of quelling the unrest, uh, the existential unrest, if you like, over the course of the next few months. That's uh, John Bob Figlio. Uh, so, so interesting about what he calls the Cuban experiment. This experiment has been going on now for decades, and there is unrest there. But whether there's going to be a a, a, a more strident response or just ongoing angst, we'll have to see over the next few years. It is six fourteen. Let's have a look at. What